It's time for the Diamond in the Rough podcast with your hosts, Dan Collins. They were sitting around the campfire or the fireplace. And Sam Ostrowski. Can you imagine if we did live shows? Diamond in the Rough, episode 14. It's been a while since we've had an episode, if you haven't noticed. That would be the loyal fans, of course. I'm Sam Ostrowski, alongside, not actually, not alongside this time, Dan Collins. For the first time, we're doing this episode through a Skype call. We're getting with the Modern Times and doing a podcast how most co-hosts like to do, and we usually like to get together and do it in person just the way Dan and I usually like to do it. But Dan, um, we're going a little different this time, doing it through Skype. Well, you know, Schedules have been conflicting. That's why we haven't been here in the past couple weeks. So we do apologize for the delay in episode. Usually we like to get one out a week, but uh, with the start of some new jobs and just being generally busy with life, as some might say, we've we've had to back it up a little bit. But that's okay. We're here. We're back for episode 14. We did not go away. We know everyone was getting super nervous about it. So, Dan, it's good to talk to you. Wow, no kidding. And you know what? A little different here now with this whole Skype thing. I don't really like it because I don't get to see you face-to-face. But if we want to be super transparent... And I like to consider us team no excuses. So, you know, we don't want to make excuses. We're just giving reasons for why perhaps we're lagging a little bit. We were pumped up, as all the listeners know, right before opening day when we came out with our last show, episode 13. As a matter of fact, Sam, play the tape. If you don't remember, I told you I don't like episode 13 because 13 is an unlucky number. And you laughed at me. And look at that. How long has it been? We've yet to hit any hiccups in our podcasting career until episode 13 hit. Now do you believe me a little bit? Yeah, I guess. Well, yeah, all right, fine, fine. You can have it. It's episode Are you 13. Freaked That's freaked out there now, wherever you're doing this show from? Yeah, you know, I don't think I'm that freaked out, but as much as you at least. But sure, let's go ahead and blame the 13th. Sure. And we're doing this remote style, if you will. And sadly enough, we did do a show, what was it, about a week ago. And we wanted that one. We did that one on Skype as well. This is technically going to be the first official Skype, at least hopefully, that we actually do post as one of our episodes. But we tried this last week. And Sam, I like to think we're really good at what we do. However, it didn't really work off so well with the audio. Put it this way, uh, to explain it in like one sentence, we tried being super ambitious for the perfect type of audio and it just didn't work. But Sam and I, luckily enough, came to the conclusion and said, you know what, the fans we have will totally understand, even if they can notice it's on Skype, they'll understand that that's the way it had to be done. We're not the only podcast who does it. We don't want to do this continuously. However, that might be the case here and there. But we're going to try to be in person as much as we can because then, hey, screw it. We can even have some pizza, maybe throw back some beers afterwards. Who knows? But anyways, baseball has been going on for a while in our absence. And there's been things we've been seeing, some good things. For instance, the person who, for whatever reason, whenever I come home and I turn on MLB Network or I'm trying to catch some baseball highlights, Aaron Judge of the New York Yankees, for whatever reason, he just does not want to get off my television screen. He's been the talk of the town. There's no question about yeah, that. He's been the talk of the town, buddy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, well, We're going to get into that in a little bit. We'll get into that in a little bit. But, yes, he has been the talk of the town. He's been the talk of the networks. The biggest talk with Aaron Judge, obviously, is the power that he brings to the table, and he's been showing that right away. Something you mentioned, we did try to have an episode before, and uh, you know we're man enough to admit that 
it didn't quite work out and we didn't want to post it and we are we'll be the first to admit that and we did promise the fans that we would never mess up the audio again like we have in the past so right we're sticking to that we're sticking to that promise but anyways back to Aaron Judge yeah he's been really the powerful guy we thought he was he I think he leads the league with the fastest home run off the bat this year at about 116 miles per hour so the guy's got power Gene Carlos Stanton kind of power you know he's I mean was he he's 6'6 I think right probably are you, he, trying, oh, are you trying to reference what I can what everybody mentions as exit velocity my friend are yeah. you trying to talk exit veloc- velocity that would be the the correct way to say it yeah the exit velocity of 116 miles per hour off Aaron Judge is bad. I don't even know what that means. I know what a high exit velocity is only because I can compare it with other exit velocities. But for some reason, and it it just sounds like common sense. Well, Dan, it comes off the bat 160 miles per hour. But it's because this is somewhat still new to baseball, this type of statistic and sabermetric that they're bringing into the game now. And I still don't necessarily know how to comprehend that. Is that okay, Sam? Or do I just need to get with it? I'm still one of the young bucks in my 20s. I'm still technically what I would consider part of the newer generation. Is this something I should start considering a little more? And I don't want to take you on a tangent here off of Aaron Judge, but we could stick with Aaron Judge and stick with this whole exit velocity stuff. It's Because to me, I still don't technically comprehend it yet. I mean, I comprehend it. There's a, there's a bunch of different... Sure, I mean, yeah, I do too, but you get what I'm saying, where I don't fully comprehend exactly what that means. Right, I mean, no, I understand, yeah. 60 miles per hour off the bat, come on, Dan, do the math, that equals home run, that equals runs, that equals RBIs. Sure, I get that, but to me it's still kind of, well, because think about it, if something comes off, if it comes off the bat at 98 miles per hour exit velocity, that could still be a hit, that could still be a double, that could still be a triple. Right, right, it just goes to show how powerful someone is, obviously, that's the the main reason for the stat. I mean, there's a million stats in baseball, especially with new stat casts. You know, anytime uh, an outfielder makes a routine catch, uh, it's going to tell you, you know, the angle he took, you know, what degree it was out at, how fast he got there, uh, the degree of difficulty of the catch. You know, we're in a def- different generation of baseball, which is really fun uh, for people like you and I who love to see all these ridiculous stats. Whether you think they mean something or not is a different story. Uh, but with Aaron Judge, I think it does because the average exit velocity for the normal MLB player is not nearly as high as someone like him or G- Giancarlo Stanton, who last year, I want to say it was something crazy, don't quote me, uh, but the top maybe 10 home runs in exit velocity-wise, I think Giancarlo Stanton had eight of them last year or something something crazy like that. He had the majority, um, and that just goes to show you know how much power he has and you know, at any point, he can knock one you know, out of the ballpark, but he doesn't mean he's the only player. So I get what you're saying. Um, take it with a grain of salt, sort of, but it does mean something, I believe. Riddle me this, Batman. Let me ask you this if I can, Sam. Baseball, out of the four major sports in America, some would consider it the least popular. Some would put it ahead of hockey. Probably most people would put it at least ahead of hockey, but behind football and basketball. Let's just say that's true. Let's say it's in the lower half in terms of popularity. Do you think more of these numbers, sabermetricy stuff, different ways to break down the ball game, different ways to break down a pitcher, different ways to break down a hitter, do you think stuff like that could help save the game 
in regards of maybe bringing in that younger group? Do you think stuff like that interests the younger crowd? Because to me, what it seems like is the younger crowd, for years and years and years, what we've been hearing is they don't want to sit through long baseball games. They don't want to watch. They don't want to watch long games. They don't want breaks where there's not much action going on. It's more of an action thing than it is analytical thing. But do you think it still helps it somewhat? that it gives them another way to understand this game and almost marvel at it. It, it adds a new dynamic to the game. So in that sense, sure. yes. But uh, what I think it's more for are the scouts. You know, they're the ones who actually care about that when they're looking and evaluating all these young guys and who they want to be part of their organization. They're going to look at every stat possible because they want to see how they fit. They want to make sure that they fit with the organization or they're going to provide, provide uh, you know, something that's going to really help their team build a championship. So I think it's more for them than it is the modern fan. I mean, if you're really going to go down that route, I mean, we could talk hours about, you know, the young fan and baseball and what they need to do to gain or, you know, gain a fan base uh, for, you know, all the, the young kids out there. It's, you know, it's what these young guys are doing, the Bryce Harpers of the world, the Manny Machados and those guys and, you know, how they act and they kind of more have a chip on the shoulder, if you will, uh, I think a lot of young people, I, I say young people as if we're old, Dan. I mean, we're in our 20s ourselves. It's I just, feel, it's fun I, to watch. I the, don't know about you. Yeah, we're, yeah we're, we're not that old yet. But you know, the, you know what I'm talking about, the bat flips, the more aggressive play, um, the stare downs even, little stuff like that. People love that kind of stuff. That's why they love basketball and football because you see it constantly. You don't see it as much in baseball, but there are players who are – you know, bringing that kind of atmosphere to the game. And some people like it, some people don't, to each his own, and that's fine. But, Dan, you know what? I want to talk more about the prospects right now. Yeah, we already we touched a little bit about Aaron Judge, and on this episode, uh, one of our goals for this episode is to obviously talk about the start of the season, which we really haven't gotten to do yet since we've missed a couple weeks. And, you know, who's been hot, who's not? A couple names I want to throw at you, and I will – as far as I'll start with someone who's not been so hot, and it's someone who I thought highly of. Dan, I think you did too. It's from Pittsburgh, Mr. Tyler Glass now. Uh, the righty's been really having trouble getting his game going. Uh, he got beat up in his first couple games, one against the the Cubs, and um, I believe the Cardinals beat him up pretty good right as well. But in four games, the guy has a 7.98 ERA. What do you take out of that? It's so hard. It's really, really hard. Let me just be as honest as I can. From somebody, at least, in my position, and Sam, I don't know how much actual live footage or how many innings you've seen this season of Tyler Glasnow pitch. So it's really hard for me, besides maybe seeing a highlight reel of him having a bad game and him just getting smashed. And when you see a highlight reel like that, if Tyler Glasnow has a bad game, if any pitcher has a bad game for that matter, but we'll keep it on glass now, and you see a highlight reel, Sam, what are you going to see? Don't even answer it. I'll answer it for you. You're just going to see all the bad stuff. You're not really going to see the good. Maybe you'll see a strikeout or two. Maybe you'll see an inning, any double play. But in the world of the highlight reel that we live in, unless you watch the whole game, unless you give the, unless you break it down fairly, inning by inning, pitch by pitch, if you want to get that in-depth with it, Whenever I see something like that, and this is something I'm noticing more and more as we're doing this podcast, and I've been trying to watch as much baseball as possible, trying to watch these prospects, and it's a little frustrating because 
let me put it to you this way, Sam. Have you ever heard this saying before? I'm sure you have. Everybody looks good in a highlight tape, right? Uh, of course, of course. Yeah, exactly. So the same could be said in reverse of if you're having a bad night and somebody's playing that the highlight reel on TV, that's what you're going to get. But let me still give you more of a fair answer here. Let me actually answer the question as opposed to me just feeling bad on if I'm going to grade him poorly or if I'm going to grade him what I would think fairly. Here's what I do know, and this is still taking the easy way out, but this, it, to me it's fact. He is still in that stage of his career where even if he has another bad outing again, and two more, and three more, maybe send him back down to the minors, who knows, maybe you try to figure something out. But at this stage in his career, he still has that he's developing excuse. He's learning the pros excuse. He still has the he's learning excuse that's what it all comes down to and i think that's fair i think it's fair for right now and the thing with me is know when and when not to hit the panic button that doesn't only go with prospects even though this is a prospect oriented show but it goes for anything it goes for a whole team as a matter of fact uh in terms of the regular season when do you panic when do you not but to me i will say this if there's one thing that sucks the most as a baseball fan as a fan of sports what you really do want to see when somebody is hyped up, even if it's just a little bit or if it's a lot, doesn't matter. If there's hype, you want to see that hype become real. In a perfect world, none of these guys who are projected to do well falter. You get where I'm coming at? You want to see them shine. I think the biggest disappointment is that we're just not seeing a kick-ass Tyler Glass now. I still think that he has the raw talent and ability to become the Tyler Glass now that you want to see. So maybe now I'm actually answering your question. I don't think there's really nothing too much to take out of it. I think there's still some time, maybe by all-star break or even, hell, toward the end of the season, you can figure a little bit more out. But I think we just still have to wait and see and not push panic buttons here. But sure, that doesn't necessarily answer your question. Maybe you wanted to know more or less of why I think he's struggling. And to this point, I don't think I can honestly answer that question is amateur or not amateur as that is i think you're right too early to tell to put it in a nutshell um you know it's his it's his first major league debut so there's time but if i can i'm not a scout by any means but i did get to watch him uh, a little bit in a couple of his games and i would love to pretend to be a scout for just a second here and tell you what i see um glass now he's a fastball pitcher we know that he throws hard and he's very good at it he usually has some trouble locating. Uh, that's something that's been very known, and he, we've seen that early. So he's missing his zone a lot, and he's already walked 13 on the year in a matter of just 14 and two-thirds innings pitched. So not a good number exactly to see. So he's not he's not locating to start. And not only that, Glasnow stands at 6'8". So here is the problem with these tall, fastball pitchers. That's taller than me, but go ahead. Yeah, it's much taller than me too. And what is so difficult for them is, yeah, locating is a problem. And when they miss, they tend to miss up because they physically just have a higher release point because they're so tall. So as a tall pitcher, you're, you know, this goes for most pitchers, really. Yeah, you're taught to pitch down. You're always taught to pitch down because they always say when you leave a ball up, you're going to leave it right across the letters for a power hitter to knock one out of there like Aaron Judge. You know what I mean? So it's going to go up. Exactly. So that's not he's not locating. And I think the fastball, he's leaving it up. 
he's not getting it down. So it all comes down to location and him missing his zone, but that is a problem when his best pitch, he keeps missing up. And all these pitch, all these hitters are just taking advantage of it, and they're hitting some solid line drives off him. That's not what you want to see. You don't want to see hitters have such hard contact against him. Um, and as of right now, that's what you've seen so far. But at the end of the day, Dan, you're right. Too early to tell. That's a it's a small sample size, but from what I've seen, at least, that's been the issue up to this point. But it's something that can definitely be fixed. It's not going to happen right away. Uh, control issues are it tend to be major issues that take a long time to finally get together. But he could definitely put a couple good outings before the All-Star break, as long as the Pirates are willing to be patient and keep him in the starting rotation. Uh, but one of his teammates, I don't know if you've seen, Jamison Tayon, meanwhile, is taking off. I mean, he looks great. Jamison Tayon, he, he want to talk about someone who is locating, it's him. Uh, he's not really a strikeout pitcher, but no one seems to be able to hit him. So if there's a, a good with the bad, it's that the other right-handed prospect for the Pirates is looking pretty good. And hopefully Glass now will be following pretty shortly. Yeah, look at the analysis right there by Sam. And what I will say is this. You're on. And when you're talking about his control issues, two very, very bad things with that that can compound with it. One you mentioned both, but one, he's a tall guy. If he's having control issues and he's missing and he's missing up, then crack and that ball's going out of the ballpark. Another thing is, and you definitely hit on this, but I'm going to expand on it just a tad, is if you're a fastball pitcher and you can't locate your pitches, there's one thing that they always say, and that is no matter how fast you throw a fastball, if you're throwing against a major league baseball hitter, sooner or later they could catch up with catch up to it. So if you're having a hard time locating, and then you just have you're just forced to either throw that fastball for a strike or through a teacup because you're just having such a hard time getting it over the plate, then once again there's something faulty because even though that fastball is your best pitch, if you just have to kind of saucer it up there for a strike, or if you're missing and you're missing high, that just so many bad things could come of that. And I think. To touch on what you were saying, that's exactly what we're seeing. At least we're seeing that a lot with his struggles. No, exactly. Uh, but you know, Dan, I kind of like this this uh, back and forth on who's been good, who's not. So I'd like to continue with that trend if that's okay. Have you seen no. Amir Garrett pitch yet? I have not, to be quite honest with you. No, maybe I'm just. You haven't seen out. the highlights even? No. No. He's probably. I would say he's been talked about. The most right after Aaron Judge. I would I think they're one and two as far as uh, prospects go. But Amir Garrett, the lefty for Cincinnati, uh, I mean, he's been a stud. He has been great. I mean, his first couple outings, he was practically you know unhittable. You're right. I have seen a couple. I have seen a couple, yes. So, you know, he's someone that I'm pretty excited about for, uh, for the future. And the Reds, you know, they have a, a good amount of talent in their farm system coming up uh, with Nick Senzel, you know, re- leading the way. So... It's going to be fun to watch, and Amir Garrett is just the first sign. So he's been great. I love watching him. Uh, and how's about the two Padres pos- prospects? Someone, two players I talked about last episode, actually, but it feels like a very distant memory since that was a couple weeks ago. Then that's Manny Margot and Hunter Renfro. Both yeah. have been everyday starters. And I think that's a big deal for both of these young guns to be in there as everyday starters. It shows that the Padres. 
they obviously trust him, right? I mean, you're not going to put a player in the everyday lineup if you don't think they can perform. Um, and not only that, I can't help but think San Diego, of course, they're not off to the hottest start, and that wasn't expected from them. Um, they're expecting them to really make some noise this year. And so far, so good. And you touched on the Pirates without bringing up, I'm really going to do bad on this one, Gif Ningope? Ningope, what is it again? Who, who are you referencing here? The man from South Africa. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. Oh, sorry, yeah, good luck, good luck pronouncing that name. I'm not even going to try. Yeah, I know. But, hey, what? and I don't know if this, I want to say the statistic is true, at least I'm 99% sure it is. First ever South African American to hit, uh, to get a major league baseball hit. Yeah, to even get a major league baseball hit. Yep, that, that you know that's special. He he was also a. I think he spent like, you know. Lots of time in the minors. Yeah, seven or eight years or so. I you know don't I'm not you know my I might not have my facts straight with that one, but a very long time, uh, in the minors for the for the average player. Yeah, I actually had a buddy who interned. Uh, in Pittsburgh as a sports writer years ago, and he wrote a story on him, and then years later, there he is getting his first ever Major League Baseball hit. Well, I sure hope he could stick around and get the paycheck that he's earned over the years. I mean, one of those guys who, you know, simply grinded his way to the top, and you can't help but appreciate that. Well, well, since we're already pushing the clock, where are we at now? Because you're producing this show for us, so where are we at time-wise? Oh, boy, we st- we're good. We, st- we still have 10-plus minutes. Okay, 10 plus minutes, because there's a couple of things I want to get into before we wrap it up. But as we know, we could talk forever, and 10 minutes or so isn't necessarily a great amount of time. But one thing I wanted to ask you, and this could take a little while, but this is a segment I think that deserves time to talk about, is your time in the play-by-play booth with the Kane County Cougars. You had the luxury of calling a few games for, I believe it is. Let's see how good of a friend I am. It was four games you were able to call the past week or two? Three. Three. Okay, well, then I'm a terrible friend, but I was close. <laughs> three out of four is not bad, so three. And I just want to know what you saw, things it's things you saw at that single-A level, not even just from the King County Cougars, just from that viewpoint and perspective in general, did anything stick out to you that you noticed? Maybe the way these single-A guys play ball, the way they might be working on things, something that just stuck out when, when the game was over, or maybe you were in the game calling it, and you had maybe a wow moment, or maybe a hmm, that's interesting moment, and now that you think back about it, you think a little different about the game, because you had a chance to do it from that perspective. Yeah, you know what, it was a, a special opportunity that I was lucky enough to take advantage of, and it was a three-game series. Uh, the King County Cougars uh, going on the road to take on the Quad Cities River Bandits, and if you don't know, that is the single-A affiliate of the Houston Astros. So, in a sense, it was the Houston Astros versus the Arizona Diamondbacks, and there was plenty to see. Uh, like it is, you know, it is really different being in the broadcast booth. And you know, if he's listening, shout out to Joe Brand. He gave me the opportunity to do so. I was his backup for just the weekend, and I really appreciated that, and because it was really fun. And not only that. Man, did I get to see some awesome talent. I knew who the Cougars had, and I knew who the Diamondbacks had coming up. And uh, they have a very good team this year, a lot of good young prospects. Just a couple to name that I actually got to see during that weekend series. Sam McWilliams, he's the tall right-handed pitcher for the Cougars, who um, actually was traded straight up from the Phillies for, guess who they got for him? 
you tell me, boy. What what is it? Jeremy Hellickson. Wow. Who is now the ace for the Phillies, if you really want to put it that way. Uh, so it was a one-for-one one trade, and that's who the Dimebacks got back. They got Sam McWilliams back, who was an eighth-round pick. And he pitched the first game of the series, if I'm not mistaken. And he was unhittable. He went about he went five or six innings, and he gave up one hit. You know, And it was a little blooper that barely got past the infield. So he looked amazing, uh, and he's been having a great season up to this point. Same with Cody Reed, the left-hander, who was actually just named one of the MILB players of the week because he had a no-hitter going through six innings. Uh, I did not get to watch that, unfortunately, but I did get to watch him pitch over that weekend against the Quad City. So that's a couple Cougars names that were of note. I'll throw one more out there. Marcus Wilson, in the last game of the series, actually had a two-home run game. And he was an MILB player of the week for that week. So the Cougars, if you can't tell, a hell of a start. And there's been a lot of talk. I'm sure you've seen, Dan, that the Diamondbacks have one of the worst farm systems in the league. And personally, from where I stand, I just don't see that. I'm watching a single-A team that is in first place with talent on talent from first player to last. And I happen to know for a fact that, you know, the guys above them, the high A, double A, and triple A, that there's talent there too. Maybe not the big names that you're used to hearing, uh, but the Diamondbacks, I don't think, have a, get enough credit for some of the young guys that they have coming up. So it'll, it'll be fun to watch when they finally make it. And, of course, you know, bearing health and everything, it, it looks fairly promising. Well, I do know that Marcus Wilson, the Diamondbacks, did name him the organization's player of the month. Marcus Wilson's been fun to watch. I mean, that guy, he's very patient at the plate. He'll draw a full count almost every time. It's incredible. He works a pitcher. It always seems like, you know, in most cases, I think it's safe to say that the pitcher tends to be in the driver's seat. They control it since they physically have the ball in their hands. It never feels that way with Marcus Wilson. When he's in the batter's box, he's in charge. You know, it's it's insane. It's like every pitch that's thrown, it's as if he knows what's going to be tossed his way. And, you know, he's ahead of the pitcher, which is very difficult to have and which is why he has such great plate discipline, so he's really fun to watch. Um, But if if we're still talking about that weekend against the Quad Cities, I have to give the Astros some credit too. We know how good of an organization they are, especially with bringing up young guys. And the River Bandits have – the first four draft picks they had in the 2016 draft. So they're pretty good, if you can't, if you can't imagine. Um, and if I'm going to go ahead and point out just one name that I think is going to be to the pros pretty quickly here, despite the fact that he's in single A, it's Jake Rogers, um, someone who I've discussed with you before, Dan. Um, he's, their, he's their catcher. He's really known for his defensive ability. He's out of of Tulane University, and he's really on the fast track to the pros because of his defensive ability. I mean, I watched him gun out one of the fastest players on the Cougars with ease, and I believe in college he had an insane throwout rate. I think it was 57% of runners he tossed out, you know, so over half of the guys taking off at first base or second base, he's gunning them out. He just doesn't miss. He has an incredibly strong arm, but it goes beyond that. I don't think one ball got past him. And a lot of those young pitchers, you know, they're going to throw the ball in the dirt. They just are. 
you know, we, we talked about control issues earlier, and that's that's very common for especially someone in single A. And I'm pretty sure not a single ball got past him. And there were plenty that should have. And a guy like that, you know, you just hope that he could get on base every now and then. It doesn't matter where he sits in the order. If you have to sacrifice his bat a little bit, that's okay. Because how important is it to have someone with that kind of ability behind the dish? And to be able to not only that, but pitch frame. You know, I can't say that I knew his how he was using his pitch framing. Uh, you know, I'm not that much of a genius when it comes to scouting. But I, as far as I've read on him, his you know his pitch framing is just as good as anything else. So you got to imagine he's going to be in the pros within a couple of years, don't you think? Very nice, I would say so, especially when somebody like you is the one doing a little bit of scouting on him. How can I not trust your word, Sam? I, I, I think you're going to have to. <laughs> well, there you go. Before we do wrap this up, though, because we are pushing the clock a little bit, I do want to get into one of my favorite segments, which is the one – pardon me, one of my favorite segments, which is the one where you throw some outrageous trade – uh, that happened years past at me, and I basically just laugh at it because I like a good laugh every now and then. Yeah. Does that mean I need to get into it? Of course you do. Oh, okay. You, is this something you just did not want to get into at the moment? No, no, I do. I, I absolutely do. I just uh, was making sure like, making sure we were at that point, you know? i am just got to make sure. Before? Hey, look, this is what happens when, when we're not face-to-face. No kidding. I will say it is a little strange, but... To kind of make it work. I mean, hey, we got to be professional about it and give uh, everybody a little taste of the Diamond in the Rough podcast as much as we can. All right. Well, that being said, all right, Dan, I'm going to blow your mind with a, a trade. Oh, here a we go. Blast from the past. It's between the Cleveland Indians and, ready, the Montreal Expos. Wow. We're the Nationals. Yeah, yeah. We're really throwing it back now. So, the Cleveland Indians, they go ahead and send Tim Drew – and everyone's favorite player in the league to this day, Bartolo Colon. One of my favorite players to this day. I will tell you that right now. Exactly. So the Expos win the trade, right? They got Bartolo Colon. How many times in his career? Yes, because how many times in his career were you able to laugh at Bartolo Colon? Far too many. Automatic win right there. Let's not forget, he used to not be quite as round as he is these days. Let's let's remember that. (laughs) No, but... Even when he wasn't as big as he is now, he still went missing that one year where instead of wearing the world as Carmen San Diego, it was wearing the world as Bartolo Colon. And then he finally decided to show up. And he's just been uh, quite a character. But Cliff Lee, Grady Sizemore, and Brandon Phillips, wow. Yep, you are, you beat me to the punch. That's who, uh, that's who the Indians received in that trade. Yes, I actually remember this one, and I'm sorry to beat you to that punch, but I remember what it was because it is just crazy. It was crazy for me to think about when I was thinking about this trade what perhaps the Montreal Expos could have been or what they would have turned the Washington Nationals into. I remember this trade. It's a you know it's a nice what if moment, uh, like you said. Who knows what it would have done. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, the Expos, two years after this this trade was made, turned in, they became the Washington Nationals. So it was at the tail end of the of the Expos' lifeline. Uh, but yeah, Cliff Lee, Grady Sizemore, Brandon Phillips. They ended up trading Brandon Phillips, as we know, to the Reds. So they didn't get anything out of him, uh, the Indians, that is. 
But still, the fact that they got him in that trade too, and Cliff Lee, we know, goes on to be a Cy Young Award winner. And Grady Sizemore, let's not forget how good he was at one point. There's a three or four season span where Grady Sizemore was considered an MVP candidate every single year. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, the Indians win. I mean, I love Bartolo Colon as much as the next no, baseball fan. Still win because they have Bartolo Colon. No, 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 no. Expo still win. <laughs> all right, fine. We can argue it all day. You know, I think I think that if we took a poll, um, <laughs> they would say a lot of people would say the Expos would win, but we all know realistically the Indians won that trade by a mile. With, without a doubt, yeah, by ten miles, yes, absolutely. Yeah, so especially with Cliff Lee, Cliff Lee turned out to be the. You know, and a very important piece for the Indians for years until they finally moved him as well. Uh, at one point, remember when it was Cliff Lee and CC Sabathia with the Indians, and how deadly that one-two punch was. I do. I, that was a, and you know, even sometimes they say pitching is everything, but even with a one-two punch like that, zero rings. Yeah. Zero rings that makeup on that ball club. It, it just, it's unreal sometimes when you think. You have it. You really baseball's weird. It's weird like that. Awesome one-two punch. Just gonna get the job done in terms of winning a ring. Sure, they got the job done a lot in the regular season and here and there in the postseason, but not when it really mattered the most, which was making it the distance and winning yourself a championship ring. Yeah, and too bad the Indians didn't keep Brandon Phillips because that really would have helped on their quest for a ring. You know, I don't think he would have been the difference maker of actually winning one. But, I don't think so either. No, but, you know, bringing the glove that Brandon Phillips has has along with his, what I would consider very underrated at bat. I mean, the guy bats over 300 with a pretty good on-base percentage every single year. Even with the Braves this year. Have you seen what he's, not to sidetrack, but have you seen what Brandon Phillips has been doing with the Braves? Wait till the middle of May comes and his age starts playing a factor. But that, as of right now, on just the first month of the season, Impressive. I don't know. He sure is ten times better than your boy Dansby Swanson right now. Swanson bent like a a one thirty or something. Meanwhile, Brandon Phillips. Wait, yeah, it's really strange there. He's batting lower than his weight. I actually, I would, I would bet, but he still is playing defense. Still has he still has a game winner under his belt, and he still has a decent enough hit tool to where change the mechanics a little bit. Maybe it could come around. Who knows? No, it'll come around. He'll be fine. But exactly, yes. Absolutely. So, yeah, rough start for him. Brandon Phillips, I think, is batting over a 350 right now. I know this only because he's on my fantasy baseball team. Well, that is exactly why you would know this. <laughs> hey, he's, he's, he's been a very good ad for me up to this point. But, Dan, uh, I think that actually is going to wrap us up. Wow, there, we did it. We yeah, did it. Yeah, we finally did it. <laughs> wow. Took us. Good it, it definitely feels good to be back. I will say that. It definitely does, and we're going to do our best to go back on a consistent schedule. Uh, Dan and I promise to do everything we can to do that. You know, we were on the once a week, as we mentioned, but things happen, life happens, things got in the way, schedules get in the way, we're figuring it out. Uh, and thankfully, we did for episode 14. Episode 15, we'll promise, is right around the corner. And hopefully, no guarantees on when they're going to happen. We've mentioned it plenty of times before. We will have some interviews coming up as well uh, with some great names. So we're looking forward to talking to, with some people. We won't leak any information about that just yet. Uh, Dan, do you have any last words? Well, regardless, even if... It happens to where we're lagging again. Hopefully we're not. Even if you want to just keep with the updates, 
on Twitter at Diamond Podcast, Facebook Diamond in the Rough Podcast, or if you even want to send us an email and find out what the heck's going on, do so Diamond the Rough Podcast at gmail.com. Perfectly said. Could have done it better myself, so that's going to wrap us up. Thank you for listening. We hope that you will listen to episode 15. That will be coming out very shortly, and hopefully there will be plenty of prospect news like there always is. So thanks for listening one more time to the Diamond the Rough Podcast, and we will catch you next time.